everybody. Let's pray. Father, grateful for today. Thank you for this season of, of Christmas. More importantly, this season of Advent. We're glad, we're glad for the gathering of your church, that we get to come here, that we're not under persecution or oppression to be here worshiping Jesus. And for these few moments, Lord God, we pray that you would visit us. We know that you're here because we're here. Spirit, you indwell us. More than that, you sing over us songs of deliverance. And with all that's going on in the world, we acknowledge we need to be delivered. And so come, Spirit, speak to us. Draw us near to Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Everybody doing all right? You survived Thanksgiving? Well, check it out. I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but the holiday season is upon us. More importantly, the holiday shopping season is upon us. And you know that unless you've been like living under a rock. For the last several weeks, your mailbox has been stuffed with advertisements, sales kinds of papers, suggesting all these things that you need to buy. The, the TV advertisements have shifted their strategy. They're uh, uh, flaunting all these things in front of us that we should buy, that we don't need, right? For people who aren't asking for that stuff anyway. And, and who are my people that are brave enough to actually go to the store? Like, it, yeah, all right, we got, we got one person, three people in the whole room here that have been brave enough to actually go to a physical brick and mortar store. And if you go to those stores, you've noticed that, I mean, the shelves are stocked with all kinds of merchandise, most of which is kind of sort of on sale. At least they tell us that to get us to pick it up and, and spend our money on it. Uh, any of you all old enough remember the good old days? The good old days way back when people actually used to wait until after Thanksgiving to start their Christmas shopping. But uh, truthfully, in the last few years, stores have opened earlier and earlier, uh, uh, really pushing back Black Friday until now in our day, Black Friday actually starts a couple weeks before the actual Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. We have this mad rush of consumerism that pauses only for like a few hours on Thursday, long enough for us to swallow our turkey and our ham and whatever else you might have had on your plate before the doors open. And it's this mad dash to all these stores to get the best deals at the right stores at the right moment. And then we wake up on that Friday morning and we do the very same thing. Advertisers used to joke about Christmas in July. Of course, that was their trick to get us to come into the store so they could sort of make their profits earlier in the year. But that really is how our holiday season has been. We've, we've sort of brought it all the way back to July, and it doesn't even stop until we get to, to Christmas. I think it's both funny and sad. Funny in that, I mean, like, we, like, I don't know about you, I got holiday confusion. Like, you go in Costco, in October, and they already displaying Christmas stuff. Whatever happened to, let's let October be October, get through Halloween, let's, let, let's let the whole month of November be the month of Thanksgiving. We're just gonna like give thanks, a little day for thanking our veterans, and, and we're just gonna give thanks to our great country, to God for all the blessings that he's given us, and then the day after Thanksgiving, it's the day you put your Christmas decorations up, that's the day you start playing your Christmas carols, and the day that you start preparing for Christmas. All that's sort of gone out of the way. So that's the funny thing. The sad thing is our American inability to wait until Friday to actually experience Black Friday. Like, what happened to that? 
And that really is in shocking contrast to this other season that we are starting here today that we call Advent. Everybody say Advent. Advent. Anybody here grow up celebrating Advent and not just Christmas in your church or family tradition? Got a few of us here. Traditionally, the church's celebration of Advent begins four Sundays before Christmas, so we are uh, really gearing up towards Christmas with this first Sunday in December. The word Advent means coming or arrival. It meant a time of waiting and longing and hoping, and during Advent, really, our attention is supposed to be on two different periods of time. The first period was the time beginning when the Hebrew prophets who prophesied that someday God would restore Israel from all of their plight by sending a Messiah. So the Jews uh, who had been in exile and then back again waited hundreds of years for this Messiah to come. And even at the close of the Old Testament, it would be another 400 years of silence as they were waiting on this Messiah to come, and then we have the birth of Jesus, this baby that came in, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so Christians today consider the coming of Jesus to be the fulfillment of that, that first waiting period. The second waiting period, we're still waiting for it. So Jesus comes, he lives a life, a perfect life, he uh, dies in our place for our sin, he resurrects, he ascends into heaven, and he tells these the disciples, the early church, that he would be back soon. Now, these, these disciples, if you remember Acts, Acts chapter 1, they were looking up in the sky as Jesus ascended, and they were assuming that he was going to come right back, like, like immediately. And so they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and Jesus doesn't come back. And so they finally say to themselves, man, this might take a while. So they started writing some stuff down about what he did, and we call that the Gospels. And of course, the Jews and the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah to come. But we, with those who were in the early church, uh, have said that he's already come, but we look forward to him coming again. And so we're waiting for Jesus to return. Everybody say, wait, wait. That's like a nasty word, isn't it? Wait. I mean, who wants to wait? If ever there was a four-letter word that defined our culture right now, it is this word, wait. We don't want to wait. We don't like to wait. And if you're under 30 here in the room today, you don't think you should have to wait. We think waiting is a waste of time. But my contention is this morning, as we approach Advent, that Christians, for Christians, time waiting is not time wasted. Really for all of us, really, whether you're a Christian or not, waiting is an important character-forming practice. Think of the little girl that's at her mom's hip, and she's trying to get her mom's attention, like, mommy, 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 mommy. And of course, mom is having an adult conversation with someone else, and she looks down at her daughter and says, wait. She's trying to let that girl, that little girl know in her young years that the world does not revolve around her, and that whatever is going on can actually wait. It's the little boy that puts his hand in the cookie jar again and again, and gets caught. And not only does he get caught, he gets disciplined. And his parents tell him, wait, you can't have that cookie whenever you want it, which reminds that little kid as his character is forming that there actually are some rules to the life that we live. And you'll always have someone that's leading you. It's the young teenager that tells his parents, well, here's what I want for Christmas. 
I want every tech, tech gadget that all my friends have. I want the iPhone 11, I want an Apple Watch, I want a MacBook, I want an iPad, I want the earpods, AirPods, and I want it now, right? And if you're a good parent, you'll say no. <laughs> but it would also suffice for you to say, wait. In fact, maybe, just wait. Let's see what happens. It's the young couple that comes to the pastor and they're coming for premarital counseling. And the, parent, the, the pastor asks them about their sexual activity and he encourages that couple to wait. To wait before they enter into um, any kind of sexual uh, intimacy. Because as Solomon says in, in his book in the Old Testament, you don't want to awake love before it's time. It's that same couple that waits and that gets married and then they consummate their marriage and they have a baby on the way and they wait the long nine kind of joyous months until the trail of that baby coming into the world. All of those are important opportunities that we get to wait as we're growing up that form our character. But from a biblical perspective, when we wait with intentionality, we remind ourselves that all is not right with the world, and, and hear this, all is also not right with us. That need to help that comes, that we need help that comes from outside of us, that when we wait, we acknowledge that we're longing for something more, that we're longing for something to come, that we're longing for something that, can't, that we can't force or persuade. Here's what waiting does, it puts us in our proper place, not as Black Friday shoppers, not as grabbers or getters or drivers or doers, but as helpless sinners who can't find fulfillment apart from God's good gift and God's good timing. And it's for this gift that we wait. I think what's important about Advent is that it's not really a four-week celebration of Christmas. We sort of uh, mess up the, the idea of Advent if that's all we assume it to be. It's tempting to treat Advent as an extension of Christmas as if there's just so much fun in Christmas that we can't contain it to one day. And so one of the tragic consequences of making Advent synonymous with Christmas is that Christmas becomes this big letdown. Christmas is supposed to be the anticipation of of the celebration of the one who has come that forces us to anticipate his coming again. But when we make Advent this, this, this month-long Christmas, what we've done is anticipated it too soon. And so at our worst, we celebrate Advent as a synonym for Christmas, but at our best, we don't celebrate Advent as much as we observe it. And that's what I'm commending us to do this month. When we observe Advent well, we do so with this already not yet spirit. Already not yet. Christians live in a time between the two Advents of Jesus. It's an already, there's some things that have already happened and we get the benefits of it, but there's a not yet, there's some things that God has promised that we have yet to see fulfilled in our lifetime. Jesus has already come. And because he's come, the world that we live in and our lives are all different. What are some of those things? He's saved us. He's gifted us the Holy Spirit. He's made us righteous, not because of anything good that we do, but because of his 
mercy. God gives us, uh, he gives us himself. He adopts us into his family. And from that, we become full-fledged children of God through our faith in Jesus. That's, those are all benefits of the already. But if you look around the, the world that you live in, the reality is we live in this sin-filled world full of suffering. And if we're honest, we're the ones that, filled, that are filled with sin and the world suffers because we're in it. And so we long for something more because we still deal with death and disease. Calamity strikes us unexpectedly. Satan still prowls. Our flesh still wars against the spirit. Sin still dwells all of us. And we, like Paul says in Romans 8, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is our great hope. And for that we wait. And in that, we look forward to the sin-shattering, hope-realizing day of Jesus' return. That's the not yet. Those are the two poles of the life that we live in, that there's some benefits that we, that we gain because Jesus has already come, but there's so much more that God has promised to which we have yet to experience. And that's what Paul suggests in Romans 8. Grab your Bibles. We're going to look a few minutes at Romans 8 as we begin our Advent season, verses 18 through 25. We're going to read these verses out loud. They'll be on your screen. When you, when you get there, say amen. Y'all are all even trying. You're just like, all right, Jeff, come on, put it on the screen. All right, there it is. It's on the screen. Let's read these together out, <laughs> out loud. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. All right, so I admit, this is not your typical Christmas sermon kind of passage, right? But here's what it is. It's an already not yet kind of text that gets us into the mood of, of Advent. And, and if you didn't understand what, what Paul is saying here in these uh, very theological, kind of a thick uh, kind, of, kind of words that Paul uses, here's what he's saying. This is a Cliff Notes version. He says, look around the world that you're in. There's a lot to cry about. There's a lot going on, a lot that we experience, a lot to cry about. But Paul says, it gets better and the wait will be worth it. That, that's what he says. To be true to our, our, the, the context of what Paul is writing about, uh, he's talking about suffering. The suffering that we endure as we live between the tensions of the already and the not yet. Not yet. And he's telling us four things. Here's the first thing. Paul says, you know, right now life kind of sucks, but, but then he encourages, hold on. What comes after the wait will be glorious. We see that in verse 18. 
Here's Paul's perspective. It's that our present sufferings, and by suffering, Paul is, is envisioning everything that you will experience in the life that you're living, from the, the very first breath you take as you come out of your mother's womb until the day that you take your last breath and we bury you six feet under. Those are, all of those days are the experience that we have, and it's an experience of, of suffering. So in that suffering, he's saying, the stuff that you experience, it's not even worth holding up in comparison with the glories that are going to be revealed in us. When Paul says glories, he's talking about our lives in glory, where we're with the Father in his presence forever. If you've ever read the New Testament, you know that Paul is no stranger to, uh, to suffering, the enormous pain and um, just the circumstance of both physical and emotional pain that comes with the human existence. Paul endured a lot, particularly in 2 Corinthians 11. He gives us a small sampling of some of the experiences that he do endured. Paul says, you know, I've been in hunger. I've been in thirst. I've been a lot of danger, imprisonment, torture, persecution, just to name a few things. And then Paul will comparatively say, you know what? All that stuff is small. There's, there's no suffering that I have endured that you will ever endure that compares to what God is going to reveal to us in the future. For all those, not just me, for all those who are saved as God's heirs with Christ. So Paul says, hold on. It, it, your life might feel kind of bad right now, but there's nothing that can compare to what you're going to experience in the life that comes. Here's the second thing he says, all creation waits and we're all groaning. We see that in verse 19 through 23. Paul is describing two things for us, the first of which Paul calls futility. That's, that's kind of an ugly word. It, it means a lot. It implies something that's warped, perverse, sickly, weak, or false. A, a more user-friendly word would be the word frustration. So Paul says, Frustration, this futility, it came long ago when sin entered the world. God did not create the world this way. And creation itself didn't choose to suffer, to, to be frustrated. The trees, the streams, the animals, the sky didn't choose an existence of frustration. And, and even how, how do we even know that all of creation is frustrated? Well, it, it, it's because you look at it and things that come alive in one season die in another. And that wasn't the way it was created to be in the beginning. Adam and Eve didn't live in an existence like that. They were in an existence that everything was beautiful all of the time. And so the creation didn't, didn't choose this existence of frustration. Rather, God subjected create, creation to frustration in response to Adam's sin in the garden, what we see in Genesis chapter 3. But what's the result? Paul says the whole world groans all of creation. It means that the deer in the woods and the lion in the jungle, the fly that gets in your house, it becomes a nuisance. The gnat that gets up your nose. I mean, I, I, this, here's what I want to see in heaven. I want to see the redemptive purpose of flies and gnats. <laughs> you know, there's some that would say, well, I mean, animal, there aren't going to be any animals in heaven because animals don't have souls. But I, I, I think we need to go back to Genesis. God created animals when there was perfection. And so if they were there, they're going to be in there too. So those of you that are animal lovers, just wait. That gnat is going to show us what he was created for, and it's going to be glorious. I don't know what that could be, but it's going to be glorious. 
And so all, all of creation, it groans. And we groan because we're waiting for the redemption and deliverance from our bondage of corruption. Paul would suggest in verse 21 that the rest of creation is liberated only after God's children are. When we see our liberation, our freedom as the sons of God, then God's going to have this miraculous transformation for the rest of, of creation. And of course, that's the day when all will begin to be made right. But until then, we suffer. Not only do we suffer, we groan. Paul's describing this, this groaning and this pain. He says it's like the pains of childbirth, which uh, by saying that, he's suggesting it's a specific kind of intense pain that's there one minute and it's gone the next. When Paul speaks of groaning and creation, he says it's like the groaning of an expectant mother delivering. All right, so women, ladies, I'll admit, no man has the right to talk about like the labor that you go through when you're having a baby. But Paul brought it up, so I got to talk about it. <laughs> right. So uh, Larissa and I were two years into our marriage. We were stationed at West Point. I was a technical officer there. And uh, I mean, they used, to say, they used to say about me and Larissa, we were beautiful. They used to call us Ken and Barbie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm old now, but imagine me 30 years ago. <laughs> and Ken and Barbie, had, were, we got pregnant. And we were expecting our firstborn son, Jonathan. Jonathan was the one playing the piano this morning. Wasn't he cute? He was a beautiful, beautiful baby. Back up before he's born. There's a story to be told. So Larissa goes through 19, 20, 21 hours of labor. At West Point, they, they didn't, uh, you couldn't get an epidural. They didn't even offer it. They offered something far less that made you endure. The, they wanted you to feel the push whatever that is. They wanted you to feel that, right? Like, what in the world? Who wants to do that? And so, I mean, we had, I mean, Larissa was maybe eight, nine centimeters dilated, and it was surely, I could tell it was labor. Thanking God that I didn't have to go through it, right? And I was, uh, I leaned over her, I was giving her some crushed ice, and she says these words, she's like, promise me we'll never do this again. True words. And I mean, what does a husband say during those, during those moments? Yes, sweetie. <laughs> and so that was the good part, because after that, all right, full dilation, she starts pushing. Jonathan's heart rate drop. Then it becomes an emergency. And of course, uh, they took him back. They did a, a, a C-section, and, and Jonathan is born. And he was born healthy. Um, and as you can see, we not only have one kid, we got three. And so, ladies, I don't know what the Lord does in you that you can have this travail, like this tremendous travail, and these babies come, and at the, like the doctors put this baby in your arms. He's like, oh, okay, let's have another one. <laughs> Thank God it's not the men, because I don't know if we could do it. Notice that, so the, the, uh, all, the Bible says all People born on the earth are born from woman, from man, from woman, except for the first. All right, God put Adam to sleep and brought Eve to life, but He had to put Adam to sleep to do it, <laughs> which gives you a little bit of a hint. Like, like, man, we're weak. We can't, we can't take nothing like that. We, we wouldn't survive. That's that's what Paul is describing here. He says, even though the created world is going through agony. And travail is an agony that doesn't end in termination or annihilation. It's an agony that ends in the unspeakable joy of birth, of new life, of renovation, 
and of redemption. Here's the second thing Paul says. He says, hope fuels our waiting. I think this is the third thing. This is, yeah, third thing. Hope fuels our waiting. This is verse 24 and 25. Let's read those together. Verse 24 and 25 out loud. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's the real difficulty of the Christian life that you and I are, are called to live. We know by faith that when we die, we're going to heaven. We know by faith that God is going to renovate his creation. We know by faith that he's not going to fail in his promises that he's made. But unfortunately, we have no idea and worse, we have no control over when that is going to happen. And so in this life, in the meantime, man, we suffer, we hurt, we get discouraged, we experience pain and sickness, we even experience death. And so it's easy for us to become, as Paul says in verse 25, impatient. And what happens when we become impatient? We get nervous. Some of us become anxious. We get jittery. We twiddle our thumbs. We don't want to wait. I think Paul is suggesting that waiting is what provokes the groans in us. One commentator that I read this week said, Impatience is a sin that, that afflicts us in both obvious and not so obvious ways. A biblical example would be Abraham. We tout Abraham as the father of faith, but he and his wife, they don't necessarily thwart the, the plan of redemption of God, but they do get in, the God, get in the way of what God wants to do by not believing the promise and taking um, taking things into their own hands to bring about the thing that God had said was going to happen. We meet Abraham in, Ab in Genesis 12. He has an encounter with God. God tells him to go to a land that he would show him, and then God gives Abraham this, this uh, he, he invites him into this beautiful relationship, a covenant, the Bible calls it, where God would be his God, they would be his people, reenacting the same uh, uh, covenant that we'll see uh, over and over again in the Bible. But more importantly, God tells Abraham, I'm going to call your name great. You're going to have like, millions of, of, of people that will come from you. Kings will come from you. Your descendants will be as, number, as, the, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Nations will be blessed because of you. But then God makes Abraham wait, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and his, his wife ends up being barren. Fast forward, they're like old, kind of decrepit, and God has, uh, Abraham has another encounter with God, and Abraham kind of sort of complains to, to God. It's like, Lord, you gave me this great promise, and yet I have no heir. Is my servant supposed to be the one by which all this stuff is going to, going to happen? And of course, God reenacts the covenant with him. And then God sends an angel, the angel of the Lord, to Abraham, tells him, this year, next time, you're going to have a son. Sarah sort of shirks it off in, in, in disbelief, mocks the angel. But sure enough, um, that, that's going to happen. But before that, what happens? Uh, Sarah gives Abraham her, uh, her, her maidservant, and they have an Ishmael. And though they have the Ishmael, um, which, which kind of messes up the plan, God, God uh, his redemption comes through and eventually have, have Isaac. 
Don't we do that all the time? Don't we get in the way of God's promise? Don't we, um, don't we sometimes say, all right, God, I, I believe that you want to make this happen, but I want it to happen now, and so I'm going to help you out a little bit. And that's why hope is so important for the believer. Paul, Paul says, hope fuels our waiting. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's talking about our, our confidence in the promises of God for the future. When God says that something is going to happen in the future, it's going to happen, and nothing can frustrate what he has said. Some of you might ask, well, well how can we even know that? We know that because we, we know it in faith, but more importantly, we know it because God has proven it over and over again to us, but more so, he's proven it in his word. And it's that kind of hope for the Christian that's strong enough to carry us through the present suffering and the sorrow. And so in, in Romans 8, Paul exhorts us, we're not home yet, but the gift is guaranteed. Our hope is certain, even though it hasn't materialized. We can't see it, and even if we could, Paul writes, it actually wouldn't be hope. Because the life of a Christian is the life of anticipation, and unfortunately, it's a life of, of waiting. Here's the fourth thing that Paul says. He says, God helps us in the waiting. Now, that's not actually in the text that we read, but if we would have kept reading verse 26 through 30, Paul tells us, God's Spirit helps us in the season of waiting by taking our unformed prayers to God. Look at what he says in verse, uh, verse 26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, it's not, a, it's not just us that groans. It's the Spirit that groans as well. And the Spirit, like it's not articulated in the Bible how the Spirit groans or even what that is. But I like to think that what's, what's happening is we're offering these prayers to God. And here's the thing about us. We know what we want but we don't always know what we need. And so we're echoing, we're like giving all these things that we want to happen in our lives to God. And the Spirit of God, because He indwells us, not only hears what we want, He knows what we need. And He's the one that's translating that, and He's groaning it to Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, so that, this, that God, the, God, the God of our lives gives us the very thing that we need. And that's what the Spirit is doing as he's groaning, taking our unformed prayers to God. And then in verse 28 through 30 in this text, Paul gives us this beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. Paul says we can trust that God uses every circumstance in our lives for his purposes, even our waiting. Even our waiting. So, so as we begin Advent Transit Church, here's the question for us. How are you waiting how are you waiting? So I did a lot of waiting this week, and because I knew I was writing a sermon on waiting, I sort of cataloged how I waited. It wasn't pretty. So I went to the dentist, and I waited. And you know what it's feel like. I mean, why can't, like, when you show up early, five minutes, ten minutes before your appointment, why can't they just call you back when it's your appointment time? Why do they not wait, make you wait? They, they know that we're all nervous when we go to the dentist. They're going to open our mouth and prick and prod and, and do things we don't want them to do in our mouth because it's our mouth, not your mouth. You don't know how this feels. And so I waited. Turned out okay. I waited in traffic both ways. Now, admittedly, I don't have a commute like some of you all do. Slugging, 
driving to a parking spot, getting on, you know, getting on the metro, driving in, you know, wherever part of D.C. that you might go to. But traffic this week was awful. It's probably because we had a short week. You know, people uh, out on the, you know, on the roads, um, going to stores, doing a little bit of shopping, mostly going to the grocery store, picking up things for the holidays, or people just getting ready to travel wherever they were going. So I waited in traffic. I went to pick up Jonathan at Shenandoah University on Tuesday, and oh my gosh, the traffic on 66 was horrific. Stop and go traffic. It usually takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get to Shenandoah. Add an hour. Bumper to bumper, stop and go. Almost killed me. I waited on Wednesday for my folks to arrive. So for the first time in 24 years of marriage, my mom, my dad, my brother came to us for Thanksgiving. And it was wonderful. We had a great time with them, of course, with, with your parents. My, my parents are old, so we talked about the good old days, and my kids got to hear great stories about things that weren't true for my dad. <laughs> but it was a good time. Thursday morning comes, and we're all excited. It's, uh, it's Thanksgiving, and Larissa uh, makes some cinnamon rolls that morning. I waited a couple minutes for those and swallowed them right up. Uh, Larissa had planned a whole bunch of stuff to cook, and she's starting to work that up. And then we had ordered a few things from, from Whole Foods to uh, accent our, our great meal that we were going to have. And so about 8.30, I went over to Whole Foods, and I had to wait in line to get my stuff. I'm like, I'm thinking, don't these pe- why don't these people cook? <laughs> <laughs> but then I got like, wait, wait, we're not cooking either. Uh, and we ordered a few things. Uh, so I waited, not too long, but I waited. They went in the back, they got my stuff. Uh, they got a few things wrong. They, they, they forgot the dinner rolls. Can you believe that? I mean, how can you have Thanksgiving without the dinner rolls? And so I waited a little bit more. Um, and then they came back out, my, my order was good, and then I went home. When I got home, I figured out they forgot one important thing that I needed, that we needed. We had ordered a ham and it was a ham that came with glaze, and they, they, did it, they did not give us the glaze. It wasn't just any glaze. It was a, it was a, like a sugar, brown sugar bourbon glaze that went over the ham. They didn't give that to me. And I had waited for it, and, and, and hopefully it was like 20 minutes from my house, and so, I didn't get that. So I was bummed. I was bummed about the way. I was even more bummed that I got cheated out of something that I had paid for that I really, really wanted. Oh, by the way, the ham was still good. And then, of course, I waited a little bit on Thanksgiving to eat. What was your waiting like? How have you been waiting this week? You know, there's, there's really three kinds of waiting. That's probably a lot of kind of waiting. I boiled it down to three. First, there's anxious, angry waiting. Anxious waiting, that's me in a dentist's office. Angry waiting, that's me on the road this week, particularly on 66, going to pick up Jonathan. There's passive, kind of peaceful waiting. That's what I did on, on Wednesday. I'm waiting for my parents. I was excited. You know, it wasn't bad waiting. Here's what Paul espouses us to, hopeful, productive waiting. And that's what Advent is supposed to be. Advent is a time of waiting. And I think it's possible for us during Advent to enter into any of these types of waiting. We can be anxious about it, we can be passive about it, or we can be hopeful. I suspect that none of us really wants to enjoy anxious, angry waiting. I mean, who wants to be like that? 
What makes the difference between all of these types of waiting? I think it's how you wait. The quality of our waiting makes the difference. And here's what Paul is exhorting us in in Romans 8. He says, we wait in hope. That's the kind of wait that Paul is exhorting us to. We hope because it's, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a reason to hope. And our Advent hope is based not so much in the, the Christmas birth of Jesus, even though that brings us lots of joy. There's benefits that we've had, that we, are, that we have, that have already taken place. Rather, there are things that, that are coming that can't be compared to things that we've experienced in this life. It's the good news that this same Jesus has resurrected and ascended and is coming again and the glorious anticipation of that that gives us hope. And so as we prepare for Christmas, it would be easy for us to be absorbed in the cultural frenzy of shopping and gift buying. It would be easy for us to get exhausted by the myriad of to-dos that we give ourselves to do between now and the actual Christmas. And of course, there is no sin in that. You can be as busy as you want to be. And you're going to be like everybody else around you. But as we attend to the details of our own celebrations this Christmas, it's good to be reminded that God is also putting the finishing touches on his plan for us and eternity with Jesus. And I would tell you, Transit Church, that's worth waiting for. And so as Christians, we are Christmas people. That's why we sing joy to the world, for indeed the Lord has come. In fact, we're going to sing that song as we close today. But as Christians, let's be Advent people too. We are those who, the, who know the Messiah has come, and we wait in hopeful anticipation for his return. This Christmas, let's make room for waiting. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, here's, here's our Advent prayer, and we'll pray this over and over again. Thank you for loving us and saving us from our sins. We're so glad that you were born. Christmas is about you. Life is about you. Advent is about you. We can't wait to see you again. Please come back soon. As we embark upon Advent, Lord, help this not to be Christmas as usual. Even though we experience anxiety and a little bit of anger, Lord, I pray that you grace us with the gift of being able to wait. Because you're promised that the glory that we'll experience will be worth it. We pray this in your grateful name. Amen. And amen.